This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, October 12, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. Qualified immunity demands some mental gymnastics by lower court judges. The Supreme Court could take up any number of questions governing the court-invented doctrine that regularly allows police acting with malice to avoid any civil accountability. Patrick Giacomo, an attorney at the Institute for Justice, details some cases of police misconduct and why courts, at least so far, are allowing those cops to get away with it. We hear a lot about qualified immunity. Uh, you and I uh, spoke recently with uh, James King, who is a client of yours, who was uh, severely beaten by two cops, uh, one of which was a deputized federal officer, and the other one was a federal officer. And uh, it's, you know, hearing his story, it's terrible to think that for federal officials, these violations of constitutional rights that uh, police, even federal police, uh, engage in, however rare or infrequent they, they, they might be, there's no accountability. So what, what makes it so hard, as a special case, distinct from qualified immunity, what makes it so hard to hold federal officials accountable when they violate Americans' rights. Right. So, so qualified immunity is a protection that applies to both state and federal officers. But federal officers also have this de facto absolute immunity in most situations. Um, and that comes through something um, called the Bivens Doctrine, and it's growing restriction by the federal courts. Um, so when you sue a federal official, there's no statute that allows that lawsuit. When you sue a state official, there's a statute called Section 1983. And in, in the 1970s, the Supreme Court implied a, a constitutional cause of action in a case called Bivens. And in that case, members of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics broke into a man's home, searched it without a warrant, handcuffed him in front of his family, and then they took him to a local courthouse where they strip-searched him. And under those circumstances, the Supreme Court said you can bring a Fourth Amendment viol- or a Fourth Amendment claim directly under the Constitution against these federal police. And over the ensuing decade after that, the court in two other contexts, one involving discrimination by a congressman against his staff and one involving deliberate indifference to prison conditions, the Supreme Court allowed claims to go forward there as well. But after that, starting in about the 1980s, the court started restricting the things where it would imply causes of action. And that has snowballed to the point now where the only limited causes of action you had under those first three cases are being curtailed. And so just to, to lay it out from the very top level, under no circumstances, if a federal official of any kind violates your First Amendment rights or your Second Amendment rights, can you do anything about it in court? Because those don't fall into the context, as the court calls it, of Bivens. So the case, and this is a will be a strange name to a case, Bivens v. Six Unknown Named Agents of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. That's right. Um, and so just to give you an example now of how restrictive this is, the Institute for Justice has now filed three cases this summer alone where federal police of some variety violated someone's constitutional rights then went to court and were denied qualified immunity. So their, their actions were so egregious that even qualified immunity didn't protect them. But then on appeal, the Fifth Circuit and the Eighth Circuit Courts of Appeals said, well, these are federal agents, and since this case is in absolutely um, minute detail, different from Bivens itself, we are not going to allow this claim to go forward. And so I'll give you some examples. 
Um, our first case was a case called Olivo versus Navarre. And we were representing um, a Vietnam veteran who was also a lifetime federal law enforcement officer who was going to his local VA for a dental appointment. And he handed his ID to the VA police because if listeners don't know, there are almost 4,000 full-time police officers employed by the VA hospital system that have guns and do police stuff. Uh, and this angered the officer um, because he, Jose uh, put his ID in the bin to be x-rayed instead of handing it to an officer. So an officer came around the metal detector, angrily pointed at him to go through it while holding his handcuffs. And then when Jose went through the metal detector, he was placed in a chokehold and slammed to the ground by three officers. He was seriously injured. He needed uh, almost immediate shoulder surgery. Uh, he was arrested. The charges were ultimately dismissed. And when he sued these VA officers the local uh, federal trial court said these officers are not entitled to qualified immunity because it was clearly established that you can't use this kind of force on a non-resisting suspect who didn't actually commit a crime, which should strike everyone as pretty common sense stuff. Yeah, you add all that up and it seems pretty clear that this was egregious. Right. And so Jose's case was then appealed by these police to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals and the three-judge panel said, uh, well, qualified immunity really doesn't matter because these officers are federal, they can't be sued at all. Um, because this case is not like the Bivens case that we talked about. And the reasons the court actually cited for why this was not like Bivens was that um, this had not happened in an apartment, that Jose had not been strip searched, uh, that what had happened had not happened in front of Jose's family. And then it said, and because what happened to Jose was worse, he was put in a chokehold, whereas Webster Bivens was not. This is different from Bivens, and therefore Jose can't sue at all. So in in some sense... Just to put that in plain English, because this was worse treatment at the hands of federal officers, he cannot advance his claim. That's right. His whole case is tossed out. Um, and uh, uh, we can do another example if we go up to Minnesota. Um, this is a case involving IG client Hamdi Muhammad, who at the time was a 16-year-old Somali refugee who was on the way to the mall for some snacks with friends. When uh, a, a girl that they knew um, got into a fight with Hamdi's friends and ultimately pulled a knife, and Hamdi and her friends called 911, uh, police showed up to investigate Hamdi and her friends as the victims of this knife crime. Um, but little did Hamdi and her friends know that this girl who had attacked them was actually a witness in an ongoing sham investigation that itself would later fall apart. And that girl ran off and called the task force officer, a St. Paul police officer who is on an FBI task force named Heather Waker. And she said, look, I'm in big trouble here. And Heather Waker, worried that she would lose her witness in this other case, called police on the scene and lied to them and said that Hamdi and her friends knew this girl was a witness in a federal case and they were trying to intimidate her. And so the local police actually arrested Hamdi and her friends. And as a result of that, Hamdi spent about two years in federal custody before she was released. And uh, once she was, she found out that Heather Waker had lied to create this whole situation and frame her just to get this witness off the hook. And so Hamdi and uh, two of her friends sued this officer. And just like in Jose's case, the trial court denied Heather Waker qualified immunity and said, uh, lying to protect a sham investigation and have someone else arrested is clearly a violation of the Constitution, so you're not entitled to qualified immunity. That officer then appealed to the Eighth Circuit, which said, well, this case is not exactly like Bivens, is it? Uh, this was not a narcotics investigation. This woman called police on the scene and had them arrest the girl. She wasn't actually on the scene herself, and therefore it's not within the original Bivens context, and Hamdi can't sue at all, case dismissed. 
Um, and then the third case is back down in Texas, hot on the heels of the Oliva case. Um, our client, Kevin Bird, was asking questions about a DHS agent's involvement, uh, or the son of a DHS agent's involvement in a drunk driving accident. And the DHS agent didn't like that. And so he held Kevin at gunpoint and had Kevin arrested. Uh, when local police watched the surveillance footage of what had happened in this parking lot, they actually let Kevin go and arrested this DHS agent instead. Um, and like both of the other cases, Kevin filed a lawsuit. The DHS agent asserted qualified immunity. That was rejected because this was a violation of clearly established law. And then it went up to the Fifth Circuit, the same circuit that decided Jose's case. And they said, well, this isn't exactly like Bivens. So case dismissed. And we have now appealed all those cases to the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, it's declined to take Jose's, but the other two, Hamdi's and Kevin's, are both pending. And our point here is, look, in uh, the time that we're living in where these immunity doctrines are so obviously having an effect on the way policing works, allowing this absolute immunity for the 100,000-plus federal police that operate across the United States is the absolute last thing that the Supreme Court should be doing right now. So the Supreme Court has been sort of cagey and confusing in, in taking cases that are related to qualified immunity. If I recall correctly, the only justice who has affirmatively said that they would take a case uh, regarding qualified immunity was Clarence Thomas. And uh, it is especially confusing given a lot of the the background rulings by some other members of the court on uh, issues that I think are substantially similar. I'm not a lawyer, but uh, this seems like a, a full step beyond in terms of uh, having a doctrine that uh, functions, the way it functions allows courts to toss cases that may be demonstrably worse than what happened to Mr. Bivens. Right. And that's the same point, actually, the Eighth Circuit made in Hamdi's case. Just like the Fifth Circuit had said, well, Webster Bivens wasn't put in a chokehold, so this is worse. Um, the Eighth Circuit said, well, what Heather Waker did by lying and having these girls arrested and imprisoned is arguably worse than what happened in Bivens. But the bigger picture problem is that it's different, and that's enough. And so, uh, you know, we, we talk a lot about qualified immunity, and as, as much of a, an overwhelming obstacle as that is, at least it's qualified, right? Here we're talking about absolute immunity. So when courts are saying this doesn't fall within Bivens, what they're saying is you can't sue these federal police no matter what they did. It doesn't matter. And so in, in this particular case, either Congress or the Supreme Court, and effectively no one else can do something about this. Yeah, that's, a that's absolutely right. And th that's another interesting twist here because with federal officials and importantly, these task force members who like Feather Waker are actually local police, like in James King's case, um, when they are put on these federal task forces, courts are treating them like federal agents. And the way the law works with federal agents is that local prosecutors can't even charge these agents with crimes because of the supremacy clause. And there's no accountability available in state courts because of something called the Westfall Act. So really, it's down to Congress or the court, and no one else can add accountability into the system. And interestingly enough, although uh, Justice Thomas has been one of the biggest detractors from qualified immunity, he's also been one of the biggest critics of being able to sue federal officials under this Bivens doctrine. Um, and so he is probably, he and Justice Gorsuch are the most opposed to the, uh, the availability of these federal remedies. Um, 
And so it really kind of shifts the entire discussion when you talk about it. And an interesting thing here is that as the court has gotten more conservative, it's been more critical of this implied cause of action under the Constitution. But in this case that it decided a few years ago called Ziegler versus Abbasi, they said, we don't like Bivens. It's disfavored. Stop expanding it. But explicitly, it said, this opinion is not meant to suggest that Bivens in the Fourth Amendment context against federal police doing standard law enforcement operations is disparaged in any way. Those claims are still supposed to exist. Yet here we are with now the Fifth and Eighth Circuits, which cover a swath of states that run all the way from Canada to Mexico, have effectively said, if you're a federal agent, this is a constitution-free zone. You can do literally whatever you want. This is a license to kill in these states. Did the, the Supreme Court, in that opinion, include like a, a nod and a wink somehow in like emoji form? I didn't see it in there, but uh, apparently a number of judges on the federal appellate courts did see that nod and wink. Um, and so that's really what we're up against right now is trying to get the court's attention to say, hey, love it or hate it, you just told everyone that the types of claims that Hamdi and Jose and Kevin are bringing here are allowed against federal police. So did you mean that? And if you didn't, could you at least tell us? Because if there's no way to sue these officers at all, at least that creates more pressure on Congress to do something. But right now, it's this hazy area. So both Congress and the court can kind of point back and forth at each other. And everyone in the United States is left in the middle wondering whether they actually have constitutional rights that are enforceable. Patrick Giacomo is an attorney at the Institute for Justice. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.